Now, the whole inception of this idea goes back many years, but I guess in, what, 1985, Tim, there was a preliminary script that was, was it, it more yeah. comic? Was it what? Was it a little bit more comically oriented? Yeah, it was actually a lot like, I felt, and it was a lot like the structure of Superman. It was sort of, kind of a similar uh, take on it, which I, you know, I think this is a very different from Superman and, and, and should, should be different. Mm -hmm. So uh, it took a while to get to the, the right tone. That was good. It's just scrambling. <laughs> just, I liked your the simple trying. thing because I'm like, okay, that ties into actually what you're seeing on the screen. Yeah. The silliness I want to touch on next episode because it's on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I think could have suffered the same fate uh, given the the premise and also the similar attempts to uh, to what darken it up to say no 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 this is a feature length film version of these cartoons. That's actually, while you were talking about it, and even more so now that you're, you're kind of discussing connecting it to, to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, I can't think, and, and I'm sure you, you can probably think of examples, um, but I really can't think of a, a film that predated, that, uh, that predated Batman that kind of did what we see happen kind of every couple of years of taking content that everybody knows and saying no 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 what you saw the last time that one was silly this one's the real world version like this one is is something that is tangible and that you can see being uh, uh something you know you can see someone dressing up like this and be brooding on the top of a rooftop and then uh, a couple years later uh, christopher nolan says no 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 what we're going to do is do a serious kind of look at this and i can't really think of and it's not just Batman. Like we saw it with everything. We saw it with with uh, X Men, right? When it was like, oh no, no, not the, this colorful stuff. We are going to show you how this could really happen. You're gonna and have Wolverine like, when asked if it hurts when the claws pop out. Say every time, you know, something. every time, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and so yeah, like when with the, our second episode, uh, we're still coming off of the opening credits, uh, but we do have a title shot of. Uh, Gotham City, and it's it's announcing, like, uh, okay, here is a real family coming into the picture, and we're gonna pan across, you know, this. I mean, I guess CD is the the, the only way to describe it, CD, uh, but also still kind of otherworldly from our still in that movie verse as far as the right. Tim Burtonisms, um, but yeah, certainly uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, which I have not. Rewatch. I'll be rewatching for this podcast. I probably haven't watched it with adult eyes. I have very fond memories when I was a kid. Right. Uh, you talked That's about um, previously the, the VHS box art of Batman. I remember the the Ninja Turtles being so excited to to get my hands on it because then I could watch it whenever I wanted. It was no longer sure. something the carrot on the stick. My parents taking me to see the Ninja Turtles. Um, I don't have as many memories of rewatching it as I do Batman. And I think it's because the concept is still has to be somewhat childlike. So there was some sure. sort of, um, you know, there was some sort of status, uh, in my life where I, I did put away the childish things, not a Batman. That's very biblical of you to say. It's a King James line right there. Well, I, you know, it applies, right, to it, it TMNT. <laughs> it, it, it really – well, because at the end of the day, you can pull Batman uh, away and separate him from, like, every other superhero as far as his 
God, man, your parents are fucking shot. And like you, you can't like get out of this uh, really like like cynical view uh, of the world, and you feel a sense of like controlling things to, like that shit that like men can really relate to, um, as far as being very hypersensitive and not and not feeling like they'll ever be secure enough to protect the things that they love, right? All that other shit, and how we carry burdens, um, and we don't deal with them well. My wife brings that up all the time. Men uh, self soothe through their vices way too much, um, more so than women tend to. And Don Draper, I look up to him as a, as a right. hero. You're, but you're absolutely <laughs> but right. Not a it's healthy like, emulation no. there to to want to be it's, him. But it's cool. It's still cool. Like it's at the end of the day, would you really want to be fucking Batman? Like, yeah. But if you get into like the, the psychology of it, God, you're, I mean, that's a, like a, I mean, you are, you're obsessive, you're depressed, like you, you hate everything. Well, you can never truly like, be happy. Wouldn't it just be easier to be like the Flash or something? Or <laughs> I was going to say Green yes. Lantern, but he's, you know, he's a cop. So I guess his is like a job, but you know, someone who could just run fast and be everywhere all the time sure. sounds a lot better than my superpower is being an orphan who can never get get <laughs> over this horrific trauma in my life and actually will take ownership of said trauma as you said in the nolan version right. no no we're gonna do it for for real we're gonna show a guy who is terrified of bats mm-hmm. and then covers himself and that symbolism he doesn't ever really get shit on in any film depiction either of being to the point where it's you know like we hate like we shit on you know toby Maguire's spider-man 3 mm, where it's yeah. like Man, don't be a whiny bitch here. But really, Batman it could easily, and we even saw this with like the, the trailer for the Batman, and folks were kind of split because they're like, "Eh, he's edging, he's edging a little bit with mm-hmm. that, you know, with the you know the the hair in his eyes and mm-hmm. things of that nature." But it's kind of Batman. I mean, he's he's it's, a broody bitch. A little bit more uh, probably honest of what the uh, you know that that guy that's kind of trapped in that childhood moment would would be like. I think everyone might prefer to be the Christian Bale version, but you're probably more likely going to be, and we're saying this sight unseen, we're going to end this run eventually when the Batman ever releases, which thankfully for us, since we've kicked around this project for a while, COVID keeps pushing that back. So we gives us a little more time to do 89 movies. They jumped me, and and that rat. I saw you in the parking lot. That explains you. And you guys, um, hmm. I have no idea where you came from. If you will please just sit down and calm yourself, I will tell you where we came from. He talks. It is really quite simple, Miss O'Neill. And he knows my name. Perfect. Fifteen years ago. Why don't I ever dream of Harrison Ford? <sighs> For fifteen years now, we have lived here. Before that time, I was a pet of my master Yoshi. Mimicking his movements, 
from my cage and learning the secret art of ninja. When we were forced to come to New York, I found myself for the first time without a home, wandering the sewers, scavenging for whatever I could find. And then, one day, I came upon a shattered glass jar and four baby turtles. That was us. <laughs> Shut oh, up. Oh, no. The little ones were crawling into a strange glowing ooze from a broken canister nearby. I gathered them up in an old coffee can, and when I awoke the next morning, I received a shock, for they had doubled in size. I too was growing, particularly in intellect, and I was amazed at how intelligent they seemed. But nothing could have prepared me for what happened next. One of them spoke. Pizza! Pizza! More words followed, and I began their training, teaching them all that I had learned from my master. Radical! 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 And soon, I gave them all names. Leonardo. Michelangelo. It's me. Donatello. And... No, I mean like the same effort that you bring into Call of Duty every night. I want you, I want that same level of effort into doing this podcast. So you picked the thing you thought was of the most importance in my life. Yes, Call of Duty. Not your child. Not my child. <laughs> I know where your priorities lie. <laughs> if you podcasted half as good as you parented, you'd be okay. <laughs> All right, should we get into it? We're already Let's... in there. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I include this with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's a really depressing <laughs> way to lean into it. We have, we have a, a better guest this week than last. The best. It's not, it's not Dave. It's Tangible Teddy. <laughs> that is it's a great introduction. <laughs> I was about to ask who was on last week. Because you didn't you listen. Known. It didn't waste his time. I don't even know what podcast I'm on. So. <laughs> well... That's uh, keeping with the tone, because uh, Dave came uh, on the last episode prepared to talk about the great romance in James Cameron's The Abyss, and about 10 seconds before we started, I'm like, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> we're doing something different. What are you doing now? We're talking about Batman, but you're not allowed to talk about Batman, <laughs> Only me and Derek can talk about Batman. We're talking about this. Teddy, you can talk about Batman a little bit more if you want, because I think it's probably a little more relevant with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles being a comic book movie. The main reason I brought you on here is, uh, in my circles, you have to be the only expert I know on this franchise, someone who's stuck with it uh, across the generations, because I'm watching this movie again, and I realize I have not watched this since I was a kid. And Casey Jones is pretty much the prime example of not ever having seen any of his little smirks and one-liners as an adult because <laughs> I had no problems with the grown men in Jim Henson turtle suits. But uh, what is this actor's name? Elias Kataeus? I think so, yeah. Yes, yeah. Casey Jones? Uh, I had some questions about that. <laughs> but you've enjoyed this film, I'm guessing, well into adulthood. Or at least you've carried on with the franchise, so that's why I brought you on for this. 
because I know Derek's going to be incredibly negative about this, especially in comparison to Batman. <laughs> well, I am a Ninja Turtle fan for sure. Um, definitely have watched the first two Ninja Turtle movies a lot. Um, the third one, a little more forgettable. I think I've seen it once or twice. That's uh, the time traveling one? Yeah, where they go to Tom. It's the one where they go to feudal Japan and they're like samurai. Derek, if you know, go ahead. Don't be ashamed about having all this information. Yeah, nope, Derek. Ahead. Nope, I'm letting him share it all. <laughs> Give it away. <laughs> um, I have seen uh, Team and T, which was the 2007 film that was like CGI. Maybe did we do a podcast on these at one point on War Machine? Because I feel like we I did. actually think uh, that is true. Uh, Teddy is probably going to be repeating material. That is one of two episodes, three. Mm-hmm. that I chose not to participate in entirely. Oh, was that was with Shane. Episode. It was with Shane. Yeah. Um, I think I remember that because the reason it was terrible. When I'm you serious. asked me to do it, probably was <laughs> when you asked me to do this, I thought about it. I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this movie before. And long story short, I just now figured out I got, I go through like my downloaded movies on my computer and anything I had downloaded on my computer was something that we did a podcast on back in like 2014 and sure enough, there was Ninja Turtles. So I was like, we must have done it at some point. Because um, I feel like I've talked about this. I did a, a search, which I don't know how to search podcasts that well. Couldn't find it. And I couldn't even find War Machine podcast. Our, our biggest fan <laughs> right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, the last time I think I did a podcast with you, you were... I think you've done like six or seven more podcasts since then as far as like different podcast series. So, Which is a good reason why you don't know what show you're on. I have no idea. You want to come podcast with us? That's fine. This is the one I, with Derek. I like to talk. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what this is or what it's about. Is there a theme? <laughs> is it is it like what Batman would... theme or like what's going on? <laughs> I'm keeping all of this in. <laughs> I may move this to the top before the music kicks off. What Derek and I are doing now. Uh, is we've removed all romance. Well, I shouldn't say that, Derek. You have some strong... Uh, Intimate feelings. feelings, sure. Yeah, towards Tim Burton's Batman. We just redirected it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's better or worse, but there's certainly less competition in the podcast field. Instead of doing rom-coms, the three-act structure, uh, we're going to attempt to look at 89 movies that came after Batman 89 and tried to emulate its success. So whether it be comic book movies or attempts to do something in the style that Tim Burton did. Uh, and this one's obvious because I think I read some trivia that this started shooting like weeks after Batman 89 came out. So they, they were chasing some, some money to be made there. Uh, much like you would see later with the Marvel movies where everyone tried to create their own cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of the main theme of this episode is going to be how to reintroduce silly concepts and silly characters and in particular with this first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie how to take it as close to being for adults without losing the inherent silliness of either a man dressed as a bat or giant turtles who uh, fight with size and nunchucks so I thought you'd be a good expert on it in that regard because as you've already mentioned with some of the later films and Derek apparently is an expert on the third one the, the Godfather 3 the second <laughs> the secret I'll, of the ooze yes I'll go to bat for that one in a second but wouldn't you say that's the the Batman forever of the Turtles franchise Turtles 3 
No, the second one. Because this... Uh, I don't think Batman Forever is universally reviled like Batman and Robin, but didn't they try to sort of lighten it up compared to this one, the 1990? Uh, yeah, they cleaned it up a lot, too, actually. I don't think there's any cursing in the second one. And um, and they definitely lightened the tone. It's not nearly as dark and gritty. I mean, they brought in Vanilla Ice for the ending. So There you go, Derek. Ninja Rap. Mark <laughs> yeah. it down. Ninja Rap. Go look it up. Apple Music. Pretty good. It's it's Bat Dance. It's basically Bat Dance. Bat Dance. Uh, I just did, uh, for another podcast, uh, original remake, we're doing the Addams Family movies. Mm-hmm. And that it was weird to watch that uh, the day before this film when you have mc hammer doing the uh is it the adams groove i can't remember what there was definitely a type for like family films to get a populist i guess rapper in there um obviously batman 89 wins of this count derek well yeah well are, wait <laughs> this, this shows how much my co-host knows nothing he, prince is not a rapper my God, was just, that was just my... me trying to poke the bear. Like, would you say that Prince is better than MC Hammer or Vanilla Ice? <laughs> this is how you rage. This is why people rage quit podcasts. Does this work, uh, Derek? Does have you seen this as an adult today? First time. <laughs> <laughs> First time, and uh, I, I will say this. Uh, Ed, my this is one of my wife's uh, favorite films from her childhood growing up. So we've actually watched this uh, probably two or three years ago. Um, I, I wasn't really paying attention to it for the purposes of being able to discuss it on a podcast uh, at that time. So watching it this go around, um, I, and I don't I don't mean to be mean to Tangible Teddy, but I had a hard time. I just had a hard time. And it, it. Are you saying you were on your phone just as much as you were when your wife wanted to watch it? I was doing dishes while it was on, but uh, and I still want it to be all in and connected with this tonally all over the place film. But it, I don't know. I don't know. Looking back on it, how much I would have enjoyed it as a kid, as well. And I'm probably in the minority on that because it seems to be that's really the only group that really gravitated towards it. Um, were kids because it was just edgy enough, you know, with Raphael saying "damn," uh, you know, every every twenty minutes or, or whatever. It was, it was probably just edgy enough to to really bring them in. Um, but I felt like there were times in which they were trying to to still get a like you're saying a more adult crowd, um, or at least later adolescents with some of the gritty you know undertones from the graphic novel. And that's when I would I would kind of just go in and out of like what am I watching here? Am I watching something where you know the uh, the fight scenes are supposed to be as silly as they are? Um, in the next moment, we're we're seeing just how dirty and disgusting New York City is, <laughs> the rats that are everywhere, and and it and that's what I think. And this isn't me trashing on this film. I mean, when you watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you, you know you're going a little. Um, you know what you're go you, like what you're going in for to, to see. So I, you know I won't you know you can't sit back and be like I can't believe that this this these green people in these costumes running around how how absurd. It, for me, it was just watching and trying to go back and forth between is this supposed to be humorous here or am I supposed to take this seriously? Seriously, that you know Splinter is is in chains and you know tears are are rolling down his fur. <laughs> it was that's what was difficult I think for me. Um, but I, I want to make sure that I get, you know, give Adam a moment to, you know, for a rebuttal here and, and to defend something that he cherishes in the way there that he does. There was some technical talk uh, before we started where I said, you know, sometimes it's hard with multiple people on to uh, to get that room background 
<laughs> that was Teddy's time as he listened to you take down one of his childhood favorites. That's where I'm going to get the room noise filter. It was very, very hard not you, to Teddy. interject. It was very hard to hold <laughs> my right, piece I'm, here. I'm giving you the floor okay. to, to respond. So first of all, every word out of Derek's mouth was false. Um, <laughs> this movie is a masterpiece. Um, I actually had like a come to Jesus moment tonight watching this movie again. Like, like I actually had a tear well up as Splinter gave Danny, who likes to be called Dan now, as he gave him, you know, his pep talk about family and, and, you know, it's just, he, he did it before Vin Diesel did. So, you know, there was always, this is kind of like the precursor to the Fast and Furious franchise, but what I'll say is what, what Ninja Turtles did better than Batman is do the, the comic book adaptation and keep it to where kids could watch it, but the adults could still enjoy it, you know, and I think Derek, that's what kind of went over your head when you watched this was that um, <laughs> when, when your kid drags you to a movie and you know, it's some stupid kid movie and you're like, there's nothing in here for me. Like what, what am I watching here? Baby shark or what is this? Ninja turtles parents were delighted because they're like, Oh, this is something I can like get, get behind. You know, the men could sit there and watch Casey Jones make his offensive misogynist jokes. And at, at the time, I'm sure they were loving it. Different time back then, of course. At the time, yeah. At the time, yeah. But, you know, or, you know, they could be happy about the innuendo and the bestiality references and all that stuff. (laughs) That's what makes grown men happy. (laughs) They're kids kids shutting up for two hours and bestiality references at the movies. We have a weird thematic thing going on, because we, we mentioned King Kong, I think, on our last episode, and watching beasts with women, and the like, the latent desires that we have in watching that play out. And here Teddy is to speak to it. Well, I think I think Casey Jones is, is happy because the Ninja Turtles are like the ultimate wingman, because it goes from the first half of the movie where the turtles seem like they're in love with April, to at the end they're cheering for Casey, who gets the girl in the end. Um, granted... You know, this this podcast isn't about romance, as you guys have made painfully clear. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think our listeners know that pain as they listen to this episode right now. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know why you would not like this movie. What is there not to love? It's charming. Like, there's all these great jokes. There's um, all these great one-liners. You know, Tell me one. Okay, I've got several, but the, the first one <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is when Michelangelo's waiting for for his pizza underneath the sewer. And it's one I used to quote all the time. I even wrote it in somebody's yearbook. Forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. It's it's genius writing. I mean, whoever wrote that screenplay, I, I give I my, have tip my hat to him. I have a, a Teddy memory. <clears throat> and I couldn't because I thought, okay, maybe it's just because I have booked him to be a guest on this episode <clears throat> that I just want this to be a memory, but I'm pretty sure it was because <laughs> I'm watching this for the first time as an adult. And I guess it's right after splinter has been kidnapped by the foot clan and they show up, they show <laughs> up at, <laughs> at April Neil's apartment. She opens the door splinter. to these four giant turtles staying there. And is it Leonardo? Yeah, it's Leonardo. Says, say the line, Teddy, because I know you've said this before to me. Splinter. <laughs> like, totally out of context. And I watched that. It was like a Vietnam flashback of Teddy <laughs> doing that <laughs> pathetic little cry of Splinter. And 
it's weird the things that stick in your memory well, like it's, that. It's one of my favorite moments from the movie. It's one man when one of my old <laughs> friends would watch the movie over and over, and like we would rewind it just for that scene because it's so. F- I don't know why I just found it so funny the way he says it and the way his lips move with it. Like I, we would cackle. We would just sit there and rewind it and watch her open the door over and over and him go splinter. Like it's, <laughs> it's just funny. I don't know. Like, but doesn't, doesn't that go to Derek's point where? Is that supposed to be an earnest moment, or are you supposed to laugh at the turtle's pain that their rat father well, figure? When I was a kid, it was kidnapped. an earnest moment. But I think if you're an adult watching it with your kid, you can you know silently chuckle to yourself, and say, "Look at those dummies." So at no point then do you actually feel bad for what's happened to these these children whose whose uh, parent, I guess you could say, is missing. How important was that to you? Today oh no! That's what I said. I, I told you I cried watching this movie. Like this was uh, this touched me in so many ways. Um, but uh, <laughs> Derek, I'm just we just let that hang there. I mean, I, I, yeah, there's nothing <laughs> must to be out without a life raft. I see. No, you you got it, man. <laughs> but here here's one thing too. I want to bring up, like, yeah, one thing that this movie definitely does right that so many movies do wrong even like i haven't seen the 2014 i think it's a 2014 ninja turtles movie the the first of the new remakes where it's like is that the michael bay yeah where basically it's like most movies now like are very like world shattering everything's going to end the world what i love about this is that shredder is out here hustling for wallets and like old ass tvs like (laughs) vcrs vcrs like i'm like dude this guy knows how he knows what's up like he knows okay. that this is this is why like it's small scale, but he's taking these kids off the street, giving them a home. Sam Rockwell, I, I love seeing Sam Rockwell. Yeah, that's skinny. Sam I will Rockwell. say that was the first time I realized that was Sam Rockwell, like with the menthol or regular or menthol, like because I remember that scene. And I'm like, that's Sam Rockwell. <laughs> One thing I'll give to Eddie, I guess credit for. Most people don't know this. Teddy and I, we used to uh, be bedfellows. We used to live together. Many years ago, and one There's of the some romance there, yeah, exactly. Say it with a kiss. One of the things we used to talk about, uh, especially like during the the, the run with the Dark Knight uh, films, right, was uh, the one that you didn't like, Dark Knight Rises, because you you were saying, man, for for once, I would just like it to not be about um, you know someone's basically going to destroy like an entire city or t- mm-hmm. basically take over the entire world, right? Um, even though they've Gotham again, it, Gotham's always the central. Exactly. Crux. And so I, I get your, your perspective on this with shredder that it's not something where the turtles have to figure out how to save the entire United States from the shredder, uh, or from shredder. Excuse me. I guess is how you say his name. Uh, I, so I get that the scale and scope makes sense for these, these four turtles to be able to take on this one guy who's really just about, uh, just about like doing his business in New York. So the scale and scope itself, I, I get that. And it, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll tip my cap for that one. It's also an interesting point that I hadn't really considered that. And I probably just, I think when you're watching it through the eyes of a, of a child stealing a pickpocket, it's like, Oh, that's a bad person. That's mm-hmm. a bad guy. Sure. But <laughs> watching hundreds, thousands of movies, it does feel kind of quaint that this it's a guy who is running this vast criminal empire in New York City who's living in warehouses and sewers and is basically just a homeless guy with some really uh well endowed shoulder pads he's got on there. Like I forgot how 
how skinny Shredder is in the movie. He, told, he has his manservant like uncloak him and, and provide things. I like that touch as well. I like that they live in a Dave and Buster's basically, like for all these kids, like all the arcades <laughs> and games. Yeah, the the seediness of these kids, as, as you said with Sam Rockwell's uh, line. Uh, his announcement to the world that he was he was coming is cigarettes. That's probably like the seediest thing they're doing is smoking. Otherwise, they're playing what uh, like ping pong or arcade games or skateboarding. There was got a base. There was one scene where it's like these really young kids are like smoking cigars and playing poker. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like come on, whatever. You know, they're not they're not out doing something else. It makes deviancy look really appealing. I would have been a Foot Clan member if that was going See? on in my neighborhood. I, I can't take my kid to watch this feels. <laughs> what was it rated? Doesn't it put you back in the, the headspace of that time period, though, where, like, uh, Bart Simpson was, like, the most dangerous character on television for kids? And, like, if, when you try to, like, watch those early episodes in particular again, it's like, yeah, he's annoying. But that's, they're, they're like, Beavis and Butthead would come, what? a year or two later and then mm-hmm. South Park like maybe two years after that like the, the way things escalated it moved so fast into probably actually like dangerous territory for like what you would want your kids to consume but I, I wonder Teddy if that's what making it like I was really kind of hesitant to even schedule this one like I felt like you had to because it was the first big comic book movie and it's coming after Batman and it was a big box office success like Batman but I was hesitant because some of these things I really liked as a kid and Adam's family, which I did recently similar boat. I I, I don't really want to watch them as an adult. Cause I'm afraid of completely erasing that sort of warm, those fond memories I have with, and I'm going to get into probably one of the negatives here. Uh, and one of the problems they had, I guess, filming it with these suits is the action has to be, kind of stagnant and slow i think that's why they end up relying so much on michelangelo telling jokes in the middle of fight scenes because it's mm. actually hard to make people wearing a jim henson turtle suit none of them are going to look like jason Bourne as they're <laughs> fighting through these buildings yeah and it actually like and derek i'm trying to poke the bear again it kind of compares in a similar way to problems they've had just with the batman suit as far as making those action scenes feel vibrant just because the lack of motion when you have someone that's just in a latex suit uh i think probably tim burton hides it more with style and because ninja turtles is going after a family audience they hide it more with attempts at humor right sort of break up the fights well and a lot of the fights that take place uh in in this film they they're able they're they're actually doing in broad daylight um or in a well-lit apartment whereas you know batman's fighting in you know at the top of a cathedral you know, that's the, you know, one of the, the big fight scenes. And so a lot of it is just shrouded in, in darkness. And they use a lot of the... He's also very stationary, too. Yeah. Like, he just appears, he's just still. Yeah. And I think, actually, not to go too far into Batman, but I think that does lend itself to the idea that, that you know, Batman is almost um, uh, very, like, Michael Myers-esque. Or uh, the way, at least, it's played up in, in, in the Burton films. He's, he stalks you. Right, so you may not need him to be, you know, a ninja version of Batman. He he just kind of walks up to you and smacks you in the face, and then poof, he's gone. And so it works for the style that Burton was going with. For me, with with the turtles, and it, it's interesting because I've, I've kind of I trashed it a little bit, or I was slightly critical in the beginning. Um, but one thing that About I did three minute stretch. <laughs> 
We needed some dead, you know, some dead space for for Teddy here. Uh, you know, one of the things though that that looking back on it, I actually enjoyed the 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 costumes uh, and did not actually find that to be as as silly as I think I assumed that I would have going back and watching it. I thought those worked. I thought uh, you know the way. Um, uh, Shredder looked. I thought he looked pretty cool, except for the fact he was he was bite size, and that's how they fix that in the sequel when they go super Shredder. Obviously, that's why it's a better movie. Um, but but it didn't take me out of it seeing uh, their the costume design. I didn't need like CGI. Um, I, I I I felt like I could connect more with them being like like extensions of teddy bears or toys, and I see how that probably worked for kids too. Right, it, it's not something that's digital in in that regard. So, it's a great film. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think if you, it's that age old thing too, where like practical effects sometimes are going to withstand the, the test of time. Whereas, like the the older CGI, uh, you can start to see the cracks in it. You know, ten twenty years later, because um, I think the costumes hold up hold up really well. Um, I think like. For instance, if you compare it to like the new Ninja Turtles movies, the 2014 and beyond, like the Megan Fox ones, I should say, um, you're going to see that. <laughs> what was that face? <laughs> the Michael Bay ones. Okay. Okay. I just, no, I think of them as, as the, like she's the, because she's the most prominent face in it. So she's April, you know? So anyway, um, you know, I don't think those are going to hold up very well and they weren't that good anyway. But another comparison too, like if you watch those, just like the Bourne movies, I feel like that's one of my critiques of the Bourne movies is the action's almost too fast. Like, it goes so fast, you you can't see what's happening, you don't know what they're doing. So I kind of appreciate everything slowed down to a to a little bit to where you can actually see what they're doing. Um, and, you know, yeah, they are mixing in jokes, I think, to kind of hide some of that. But it's still fun, and I still think it moves fairly fast, and but not, not so fast to where I'm just, like, left wondering what's happening. I like I like being able to see what's happening on the screen. I also thought from a practical point of view, you have more emphasis on, at least in this version of the characters. Michelangelo, I think, consistently is considered the funny one and mm -hmm. <clears throat> probably the most popular one if, among kids. Um, but they also like have Donatello as his, it's, it's like a buddy cop comedy with the two of them. Not for nothing, they're the two that have weapons that all they do is when they hit someone, it hurts them they just have a solid object they're hitting they have as more opposed to Robbie Hull yeah. Leonardo would slice you open if they actually make contact so when I'm rewatching, because I did wonder with Leonardo with his dual swords I'm like oh man are they actually going to have him like chopping through ninjas because this isn't Lord of the Rings where mm -hmm. it's just like orcs and goblins it's you know the, <clears throat> rarely do you see human on human Braveheart style combat and stuff that's aimed for all ages mm -hmm. um and yeah, I think that's also how they kind of get away with it. Most of the time, the fight scenes, it's Donatello, Michelangelo having fun. Um, I, I do, I, I kind of agree with Derek on the tone though, because the fight scenes generally are fun. And they're the, the stuff that I remember the most as kids. I, it's like, I remember the musical cues and some of the lines mm -hmm. when stuff was about to happen. Like when the, uh, the foot clan come, I guess through the uh, skylight and yeah. you know that they're going to like go through the bottom because they've been like chopping up the floor. Is that the most satisfying feeling though? When that floor breaks, <laughs> I, I love that as a kid and I still love it today. When you see that floor break, I don't know. It's like, Oh yeah. It's like a good crunch. I did feel sorry for April Neal's uh, like family used store, whatever it was like little Underneath, pawn yeah. shop and gift shop. 
because uh, <laughs> just the scene prior basically is just there to set up that there's another floor and we're going to burn it all down. Yeah. Um, probably as a kid, that's fun, but I did feel a little bit bad for April O'Neil. But you have that mixed with the whenever we go to Shredder or what is the name of his like his number one goon. Uh, I actually it, knew that, but I can't remember like, now. I want to look it up. I think it's Tomatsu, but I can't. I can't remember the guy sure. that uh, dresses or undresses him with you know gets that cloak. Yeah, it's out of the, the spike uh, here. Tatsu, Tatsu. That's it. Yeah. Yes. So he he gets uh, chewed out by his boss Shredder. <laughs> takes it out on uh, I guess a wannabe Foot Clan member kid, punk kid that's just there for the the cigarettes and you know the skateboarding or what have you. And I read that there's a version where he like beats him to death. And I th- like, it's one of those times where, uh, our, like the director like has stated that he had a darker vision and I'm like, do, do you need a darker vision? Like it's one of the times where I'm thinking maybe the money men were right where it's like, you know, this is something that kids watch a cartoon of. Do we need to see like a teenager beaten to death just to establish the stakes? Like, Oh, they really mean it. Um, that's where I grew with Derek, where it kind of, totally did throw me for a loop at times like all the turtle stuff is kind of what i expected and what i remembered i did not remember like whenever we go to to shredder and his number one goon that you know there's genuine fear of what they're going to do to actual humans and not mm-hmm. only just humans but children that they're just going to beat them to death if they get out of line it's actually the most violent uh scene that i can think of it at least because he's like you're saying you're seeing him beat this kid up um and, then and it's w- a man who's been emasculated yeah who then has to go and immediately emasculate someone else and take it a step further so when you think wouldn't wouldn't you have thought to have if you were if you're going to rank your violent moments right in in this film to have the there be a heightened violence with uh, the turtles and the foot clan who are pretty similar in age just teens fighting teens um versus also the foot clan when they're fully dressed up you don't see a human face right. it's just an, it's like a video game it's just a right. nameless thug <laughs> no we're gonna beat an actual human kid um and yeah the turtles given their the fact that they're just something that is not ever i assume we're not ever gonna have like a jurassic park style moment <laughs> suddenly there's gonna be the news like we have created giant turtles who can talk and love pizza like when they get hit they're so odd looking that it's hard to connect like actual physical violence on them because you just assume everything bounces off of them i would disagree with that just because of the Raphael stuff (laughs) like where he basically gets beat to the within an inch of his life and has to live in a bathtub yeah (laughs) that shot where i mean (laughs) he's like hanging out of it (laughs) i know they're going for a touching brotherly moment with leonardo like standing over him like the bedside manner and everything like being there for him but i they cut to him in the bathtub. There's no grace or dignity. It looks like they just threw a dead body. <laughs> it did throw me off this time. I was like, man, they just kind of like haphazardly threw him into the bathtub. <laughs> is there any water in there? Like, why, why did it have to be the tub? I there is water. Because I, I wondered about that. But April comes over and trickles some. She dips her hand and trickles some water on him. There's that eroticism. Gesture <laughs> needs. That's right. Keeping it alive, baby. Would you. So. Shouldn't she have ended up with the turtle then? Uh, the, Back well, to the bestiality. Okay, I knew we'd get there again sometime. I'm just, because well, that makes I the think... simps. That makes the turtle simps. Like in a way, they well, just kind of they can't they can't do that for a kids movie. But what they and Derek don't don't bring that modern vernacular into a nineteen because <laughs> honestly, I'm trying to bring I think... in the young kids here. Yeah, 
honestly, I am, I'm a little surprised they let her end up with Casey. I think they did that specifically for the adult crowd because the kids didn't care about that kind of stuff anyway. Like you weren't, you weren't in it for the romance. I know I could care less about Casey Jones and April O'Neil's relationship watching it as a kid. I think they did that. Strictly what do for you think adult. Casey Jones is there for really? I think he's there as like, um, well, a, I think he's there as a romantic interest for April. So they have that to, to sell to adults. But, um, I think he's kind of there as like a third, especially at the beginning, he's kind of there as a third party. Like, you know, he's not, he's not a Ninja Turtle. He's not a protagonist per se, but he's not a, he's not an antagonist either. He's kind of a foil for Raphael, you know, at the beginning. Um, for me, I don't know. He sort of functioned like a red line, like Indiana Jones style. Um, cause it seems like where it wouldn't make logical sense. Like when he discovers Shredder's hideout, you can't just have a turtle just walk in or follow a kid. Yeah. So it's like they get around some of those things. Um, but I'd also forgotten like how quickly they're open with the fact that the turtles, like Raphael goes to the movies and like the third or fourth scene. And yeah, yeah, he's wearing a trench coat and a hat, but, Mm -hmm. uh, they don't really try to hide them as much as I remembered. Like, I mean, he's discovered again on the rooftop, just after his little tiff with Leonardo. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that's something the sequels, do they even bother with it anymore at all? Or did they just sort of roam around? Uh, they still try to stay hidden, I think to some degree, but it's not, it's not to that extent. Um, I, w- I did go back last night or maybe tonight and watched, um, the opening scene of the second one where they're in like this mall. And what's the, what's the kid's name? The pizza delivery guy, Derek, do you remember? Oh, I can't remember his name. Um, He's basically watched, the the new um the new adolescent like the the kid in this first film like he's the oh, new Danny. kid yeah but I can't remember yeah, his name only he knows he actually knows how to fight but um you know I don't think they really stressed that one as much as the first movie as far as trying to stay out of sight and not be discovered kind of thing you know um which I still think it's one of my that's one of my favorite scenes from the movie is when uh, Danny and his father come to April's apartment. And, you know, and they just, they're all hiding in different places. I always remember loving that scene, like, where he looks at the mirror. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's Raph that's under the table. It's either Raph or Michelangelo. And, uh, he just, it's so creepy when he looks through the mirror and sees him. And then turns back into his little <laughs> panda in his place. Makes me so happy. I was, I was going to go with the one in uh, April when he'll shower as far as the creepy, especially since he can get onto the ceiling somehow and hang there. <laughs> that's just impressive. It's not creepy, did, Mike. Going back to the to uh, the Casey stuff, did anyone get vibes that he was somewhat similar to what like a like a Han role should have? Like he he was kind of the wise cracking asshole um, that eventually April would develop love or an interest in, but it was just <clears throat> tacked on and played pretty quickly. Like it, I never even like that that last scene where they're finally like kissing or embracing, and the turtles are like, yes. We love being in the background here for our movie. Um, I, the simps. Simps, exactly. <laughs> it just, it, it felt like, oh, okay, well, they've only been around each other for a day or two in this house, or however long. Yeah. Um, but it just, it felt kind of just tacked on, this, this Maybe jerky Maybe Teddy's character. right. Maybe he is the, the stand-in for the adults in the crowd, because the, my favorite moment on this watch is, you know, as much as Derek hated Splinter Chained, 
and weeping, trying trying to communicate with his sons uh, through the campfire force. Much as you hated that, my favorite part is when Casey Jones walks in and he has no idea about Splinter. He's accepted the turtles, but he then comes in and sees a rat that's like the ultimate prisoner for this this youth gang of New York, and he has this look where he's like a rat. All right. <laughs> I guess. And I felt like that was every father in the crowd, like, whatever. <laughs> like just, like, anytime we went to a splinter flashback where he was an actual rat, he wasn't a mutated, super intelligent one, and you see an actual rat mimicking kung fu or whatever his master's doing in the cage. I, I'm, I guess I'm glad I didn't watch this with my father. Yeah, I think Casey Jones is just there as like a wink to the crowd, like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're, I, yeah, we can't believe we pulled this over on kids, but what are you going to do? We, we we made some turtles, and you know, what we've not talked about is this was made as a complete satire of Daredevil, like the whole, you know, the, the hand, uh, that that's his big, you know, gang nemesis, it's the foot, mm-hmm. uh, Splinter, and his mentor is, uh, is it Switch? I think it's Switch in Daredevil, mm-hmm. Uh even the uh, radioactive like ooze is like without calling it out for trademark reasons is the same exact thing as Daredevil. Like, hmm. so I mean, yeah. they created this comic as just like a riff on like, man, comic books that grown men read aren't they stupid? And <laughs> creating this like multi billion dollar empire out of it. So Casey Jones for me is that like the creators like, yeah, we know, we know. Let me it's ask a rat you this. Up. Um, kind of off the Casey Jones topic, but more about let's bringing Batman back into this too. So I love how Teddy, the guest is far more demanding to be involved in the, the actual conceit. Whereas we told Dave, you're not allowed to talk about Batman. Shut up. <laughs> well, I, I do have a question about this. I, I, I've not read the Ninja Turtles comics. Um, so I can't speak to the origin. I don't, I don't know if the movie follows it more or the cartoon does, but so you mentioned the Splinter's story, um, and this is one thing that this, that the movie I know for sure deviated from the cartoon, and I'm not sure if it deviated from the comic. And that is, um, in the cartoon, um, Splinter is Yoshi. Um, he is he is uh, the actual rival to Shredder, and was and was turned the ooze turned him into a rat. Whereas in this one, obviously he he was always a rat, but he was the rat of. Yoshi. I'm pretty sure the movie actually tries to stick more to the uh, the origins than okay. the uh, the cartoon. And personally, I actually like that better. Like, so, and that was it's ridiculous anyway. So it's almost so too far. Do you if he's like a human that, first, do you like that better? Sticking with that, which to me that was a change up from the cartoon. But do you like that better than what the liberty that Batman took, where Joker killed Bruce Wayne's parents, as opposed to some random Joe Chill or whoever? Ooh. You know, oh, I'll let. Teddy you coming know, in hot. With is, the, wow, he's been shadow boxing for forty minutes, but now, <laughs> now he takes a swing at Derek. Oh, wow, that's a. Uh, I'm gonna need that. I'm gonna need something to drink first. Um, <laughs> I, I think with you're look, you're talking about with with Batman as a franchise, like like at that point, what fifty some years already of a foundation that had already been established uh, that Joe Chill, you know, shot um, Bruce's parents right outside of that, in that alleyway. And so that's kind of from a, how we conceptualize Batman and his identity. That's, that's, that's the story. That's the premise. And we, we've, we go on from there. And if you want to build on that story um, over those next 50 years, you do so without kind of changing that narrative. 
However, with with turtles, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about something that hadn't been around nearly as long, and so um, uh, I could we, argue to you though that both have been around nearly as long for me as a six <laughs> or seven year old. They were equally as old. So, are we asking eyes. like on a personal level, which one makes us feel a certain type of way that they change the source material, or which one do we think had a bigger impact from like a societal perspective? I was not. I don't care about society. I want to know how it made you feel. Like. like which one do you think did it better? That's what I'm saying. Like, like made that choice to either stick with or, or shy away from the way the source material did it. I guess, uh, on a personal level, I don't care as much that they changed it with turtles because one, I like the cartoon more, um, than the film anyway. Um, with Batman and we talked about this in our first episode for me, um, I go into Batman as far as knowing his backstory, um, pretty much off of Batman 89. So it's not so much that, you know, I'm reading old detective comics, um, you know, back in 1990, uh, 19, uh, 91, 92, 93. Um, so when I see that, you know, Joe Chill turns out to be the Joker as a kid, I have no thought about it. And so moving later, when I actually learned that that was not like the original um, foundation for, for, uh, for, you know, Bruce's situation at that point, I'm like, well, they did it because they wanted to be able to have, you know, that connection, that connected tissue. So it would matter to it's people a, later on. Three X structure. Right. Right. That's they're, they're treating as a standalone film. So side note, do you know when I found out that the Joker didn't actually kill Bruce Wayne's parents like in the source material. So, Batman begins. <laughs> yes. Because I kept wondering, I was like, oh, is this going to be Joker? Because he killed Batman's parents. Like, we're just setting this up. Okay. Okay. I like it. Are you kind of coming to bat for the Turtles here as a newer comic book property that I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I didn't follow it through. I'm sure that their fan base, certain segments of it can be just as rabid as Marvel or like DC property. But are you saying like, at the time of its release, where it's a newer, at this you know original comic book property, are they more free to just do whatever? Because there certainly was a big backlash against that revelation from the fan base, not the the film goers, but the fan base uh, with the, the Joker and the '89 version. Mm -hmm. I, I think so because well, a if if what you say is true, like if they actually stuck more to the comic than the the adults or the or the older teenagers who read the comics are going to be happy with the, with the fact that they stuck with the source material and kids like myself didn't know any better. Actually. Like I, I knew that it was not the same, but also I didn't really care as a kid, but as an adult, I kind of like this story a little bit better um, than the cartoon that he was actually, he actually was this human that was somehow turned into a rat. Like I, I, I like the thought more if he's an actual rat and he saw his master die. It's more, and, pet friendly too i don't, I don't yeah, know yeah like, like i don't know it's it more just, like it, the loyal companion which is also more it's more like a samurai story in that way too isn't it like mm -hmm. that you're beholden to your master and yeah you know, the one that trained you and the sort of legacy thing uh yeah, well, more so than like a monster movie where a man turned into rat and you're also not <laughs> yeah. stuck on the on what happened to splinter nearly as much you, because if that's the case you'd probably be thinking man it'd be really great if he can somehow turn back into a man like why was this taken away from him now he's yeah. just he's just a rat then you're really getting in some bestiality stuff too yeah some it's beauty and the beast yeah april is well, for him i don't know if, if this is the same for you mike but this is the first time i watched it and realized that Shredder and Splinter didn't really know who each other was until probably the last 20 minutes of the movie. For some reason, I've always thought that when Shredder kidnapped Splinter, he knew exactly who he was and like knew that he was 
you know, his yeah. rival's rat. You know, I, I didn't I didn't pick that up till this time I watched it. Like, oh, they mm-hmm. just found out on the rooftop, basically. I think that goes back to your, your point that both Derek and I really liked, uh, framing it that Shredder is just about this relatively small time crooked business. And he hears mm-hmm. that these you know, these freaks sewer, someone's putting a stop to it, just stamp them out. That there's this is not some like long held vendetta. Uh, mm-hmm. which I also do like in the, the Burton Batman with Joker. It's just happenstance that way. It's, it's a little like Darth Vader after Luke. Like he, he sees this person, he sees these, he sees these people disrupting his enterprise. And then he's like, okay, I want to, I want to squash these guys. And then he hears like, oh, they fight like what? And then, then he gets a little more obsessive about it. Uh, kind of like with Vader uh, by, by the time Empire Strikes Back happens, he knows, oh, this is my son, Luke Skywalker, that's doing this stuff. Now I'm really obsessed with finding this guy, as opposed to just some extra rebel that's out here doing oh, this or that. Yeah. I mean, look what that rat did to his face. I mean, goodness, that was a... I'm assuming that was when he was the, the an actual rat, right? He didn't yet have yeah. radioactive powers. Uh, yeah, he just did that as a assault rat. on Shredder. Yeah. Such a little man. New York rat. Shoulder pads. <laughs> They're big. Pizza Gate was Splinter. I'll say that. <laughs> he likes pizza too. <laughs>